welcome to the Mind Your Leadership podcast. I'm Karen Soup. In this podcast, I will have conversations with thought leaders, CEOs, and managers from various organizations about leading mindfully. We will learn from experienced leaders how they implement mindful leadership in the day-to-day organizational culture, and we will gain tools and skills. So stay with us. Hello, today I will speak with Ed Elvart. Ed is a lifelong business executive and people connector. He has a passion for helping your leaders and employees find success in the work they want to do. He's a prolific speaker and writer on the topics of visibility, enhancement, and value generation in organization. Ed is the author of two books, Raise Your Visibility and Value, and Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways, Take Responsibility for Your Own Success. So today in this episode, we will speak about what does it mean to drive our success and navigate our life and job in the workplace, what we need to do in order to show up fully and be in the place we want to be. So stay with us. Ed, thank you for joining. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Likewise, Karen. Thank you for having me. So as I said in the introduction, you wrote two books actually, right? Drive Your Career and Raise Your Visibility and Value. It's the former one was the last one, right? Drive Your Career. So I'll be happy to hear your story and what got you to write this book and what is your vision and mission for other people to drive their career. Well, I am a lifelong corporate employee. I spent most of my career in corporate America, working in retail and small business services. And then I left corporate America in 2008 to transition to leadership coaching and uh, team coaching. And I really felt that I wanted to share some of my experiences as a corporate employee and did so with raise your visibility and value. And so this was really about the importance of not only being more visible in your organization and industry and Many corporate employees are not visible within their own organization, and they're not visible in their industry because all they're thinking about is their day-to-day job. And then if you're going to be more visible in your organization and industry to also ensure you're providing value that, you know, people want to know not just what you did, but how what you did helped, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you can sit there and talk about all the things that you worked on, but if it had no impact on your company, then it didn't matter as much. But if it had a huge impact on your company, it became more and more valuable. So that was the impetus of raise your visibility and value. And then after about 12 to 13 years as a leadership coach, I began to see certain stories emanating from the coaching I was doing. And I didn't bring these stories up purposefully. They just came up naturally with different clients I was working with. And I think I had one of those shower moments where I said, you know what? These stories seem to come up again and again and again. I should think about what they are and capture them. And so that became the catalyst for raise your, uh, for Drive Your Career, which uh, is nine stories about behaviors that you should consider doing. Not everyone can do them all, but behaviors you should consider doing to drive your career. Nobody cares more about your career than you. And I don't care what anybody says or how much they love you. Nobody cares more about your career than you. And you need to be thinking about how to drive it to ensure that it's going in the direction that you want. 
So it's really interesting because, you know, usually the podcast is Mind Your Leadership and usually I'm talking with thought leaders and leaders from in the organizations. But now it's really interesting because you're bringing another perspective from your past, being an employee in the corporate world and now also working with leaders. And you say, and you say okay, let's see how we can lead and navigate our lives in the workplace and outside. But we need to take ownership and be responsible to ourselves because, you know, I talk, when I speak about leadership, I say it's not a title. It's the way we're acting in the day-to-day. So each and every one of us is a leader. So I'm really curious to hear what is one or two of the things that you that came up for you when you were working as a coach leader, what people are struggling with most. Well, what's interesting to your point is that both books and certainly Drive Your Career comes from experience. These just aren't you know things I sat at my desk and decided to write, but it really came from coaching and working with all levels of leaders and organizations from supervisors up to presidents. And one observation I have, Karen, is that the stories in Drive Your Career are applicable to all levels. So whether you're a president or a supervisor, these stories, these observations regarding leadership behavior will apply to you. So it doesn't mean it's only for presidents or it's only for managers or supervisors. You know, we find ourselves in very consistent experiences in organizations when we lead people. And uh, behaviors of people are things that we need to be aware of and manage, as well as our own behavior. And so it's important to think about, you know, how I can be more effective in leading a team, again, whether I'm a president or a uh, supervisor. So, for example, in the book, I did not put them in order of importance. These are nine somewhat random stories, except the first one. You know, I did start with the first one, which is have a positive relationship with your boss, because your boss is the person at your organization who influences you the most, both with you and to others about you, right? I mean, if I wanted to hire you for another department in the company, I'm gonna go to your boss and say, hey, we're talking to Ed about a new opportunity. What do you think of him? Mm -hmm. And I definitely want my boss to give them, you know, two minutes of very positive, constructive feedback, not negative and destructive feedback, right? So I would encourage all of our listeners to think about, you know, how would I, gauge my relationship with my boss on a scale of one to six, one terrible and six, we finish each other's sentences. And if it's a two or three you know, or lower, you've got some work to do to ensure that you have positive relationship with your boss. And this is true for presidents who report to board of directors. You have to ensure that you have a positive relationship with each of your board members. You don't have to be best friends, but you want to ensure that you are achieving what they hoped you would achieve and are doing so in a very positive and effective way. So it's really resonant within because at the end of the day comes to connection, right? At the end of the day, it's people working with people, doing business with people. And the connection is a crucial element in a work in a day-to-day work life, right? If I don't have good connections with my colleague, with my boss, with my employees, it really will be challenging for me to, to move on in my career and to engage people. Yeah, you're absolutely correct, Karen. Uh, The world has very slowly and subtly, and there's not been any big announcement, but we've been moving toward a world where relationships and connections are almost as important as being an expert in what you do. You know, I would say 99% of my clients are experts in what they do. They are a fantastic attorney. They are a fantastic pharmaceutical engineer. They're a fantastic manufacturing executive. I'm not helping them on what they do. It's how they're doing it. That's problematic. They've reached a point now where their connections are not good. Uh, People don't follow them or listen to them. There's negative talk about them, whatever it might be. And they need help understanding more how to lead 
how to build connections, how to engage people, how to lead people than what they are working on. You know, we all go to school and at school, we almost always focus on the what's, right? Mm -hmm. Economics, marketing, sales, medical uh, devices, you know, whatever it is, we're focusing on the what and not enough time is given, if any, to how to lead. And that's why, you know, you and I are in business because they get to a point where they're like, I'm a fantastic pharmaceutical engineer, but I've never had any training on how to lead a global team from a hybrid perspective. I have no idea. And yet here I am, right? So I need some help in order to do that. So what practical tools would you give our listeners to really lead like hybrid teams, how to connect people? Do you have some tips for them? Yes. Okay. I mean, hybrid teams, of course, is something that's new. So we have to recognize that being required to do it is new. Of course, they existed pre-COVID, but those were almost by default or just because you had a global organization. But now even people locally want to work from home. And so it's important to you know lead hybridly. And you know, I think, of course, when people think of hybrid, the first thing they think about is like you and I on a Zoom call with 10 heads. And mm-hmm. I think the first thing a leader needs to do if they do decide to have meetings or talk hybridly or virtually is to first set expectations. You know, don't just have a call and just start and then leave feeling negative about certain aspects of the call. You have to set expectations. And, you know, I will tell you for purposes of connection, for purposes of networking, for purposes of visibility, as hard as it is, you almost always have to have your camera on. You know, I recognize that some people may be in the car or maybe have a device that doesn't have a camera and that's okay. But, you know, everyone else, it is required to have your camera on. And I know some people don't feel they look good, right? Hey, it's too early in the morning and I haven't had a chance to take a shower and, you know, make myself beautiful. And quite frankly, people aren't expecting everyone to look like a model. So, you know, put a baseball cap on or, you know, do something. But, you know, it's so important that you figure out how to visibly be present hybridly, as well as, you know, participate in these activities. So, you know, the piece of advice certainly I would give our listeners is to first set expectations of how you as a leader anticipate to lead virtually. So everyone has an opportunity to meet those expectations. Mm -hmm. So it's even more crucial nowadays, the communication aspect, right? When we're working hybridly, there's no over communicating. It's better to communicate. I think also to invite people to show up in the Zoom meetings and to share what their experience, what how they see things, because it's more easily to zoom out from this meeting, right? You're less engaged, you have a text message, you have the UK at home. So there's a lot of distractions, but once you invite people to this space and invite their presence, they will be much more engaged. And- yeah, I mean, we have to recognize virtually, regardless of how good a boss you are, that people are gonna get distracted and that they have other priorities or other distractions. And to your point, it could be everything from another email to uh, a dog that wants to get fed and needs to go out to a kid crying. And so uh, even pre-COVID, I advocated for multiple forms of communication. Different people learn in different ways. So if you have a hybrid call, a virtual call, and you have a number of people, somebody should be a note taker and someone should send those notes out afterwards because some people learn by participating Some people just aren't great participants, but learn by reading afterwards. So it's important to set out information in advance of the call as to what you're going to be talking about. Talk about it on the call and make sure people understand and even can repeat it back to you what you've talked about. And then most critically, send out notes, brief notes, not, you know, 50 pages, but even one page notes on actions and next steps 
so that different learning styles can adjust and participate uh, effectively. I love it. So it's really giving a one solution that for different people can connect to this information in the, the meeting. I'm curious, what is the second thing that comes to your mind from the book that people are struggling? So I think another great activity is to ask your boss the million dollar question. And so I call it the million dollar question. I don't know that it's worth a million dollars, but I, I think it is. And this is a question you can ask your boss. This is a question you can ask peers. This is a question you can ask subordinates and customers, really anyone. And the question, and it's very specific in the language that you use. And the question is, what's one or two things I can do differently to be more effective? So first off, you're only asking for one or two ideas. You're not asking for 20 or 30. And even one idea is meaningful. I like the word difference versus what's something I can do better or worse. Because when you say better or worse, people feel like they're judging you and they're not comfortable judging you. So they may not even participate. But difference is a little flatter. It's not better or worse, but just different than I'm doing today. And who wouldn't want to help you be more effective? You know, I would hope everyone wants to help each other do a better job and be more effective. So, you know, twice a year, even once a year, ask your subordinates, ask peers, ask your boss and do it, uh, I believe, in a dedicated meeting. If you attempt to put it on your normal weekly meeting and put it at the end, you're never going to get enough time for it. Or you're going to have like 30 seconds because you spend so much time on everything else. But find dedicated time, go to lunch, go to breakfast, whatever it might be, and say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm looking to grow as a leader. I'm looking to continue to build my competencies here at the company. I'd love to hear from you. And if you don't have an answer today, let's think about it and let's talk about it in a couple of weeks. What's one or two things I can do differently to be more effective? And I really believe, Karen, that if people do this on a regular basis, their skill set will grow because they're hearing now from people things that they believe they could do differently to be more effective. I really love it because you, you actually invited people to be more proactive and take responsibility for their career, for navigating their lives and asking for this feedback. And, you know, because usually when we get feedback, we feel, as you say, judgmental and don't feel comfortable and then we push it away. But once I'm coming and inviting people to my space and to share their viewpoint and tips, I can grow out of it and evolve and be a better leader. So I really love the fact of inviting people to be more proactive because this is actually leadership, right? Because if I'm passive, I won't get far because even if I'm doing a great job and nobody knows about it and nobody connected to me, it won't help me. But once I'm opening myself to, to listen to different voices, to different feedbacks, I can evolve. And I really love, love it in, in the corporate world because sometimes it's easy for us to be in our comfort zone, right? And to stay there and then... Not much happening. Well, you know, typically we have three types of conversations with our bosses. One is a weekly meeting, if people even meet with their bosses weekly. And almost always, all you do is talk about projects and initiatives, never about you. So we meet to talk about projects and initiatives. The second time is when there's an issue, my boss will come to me and say, hey, this didn't work right. Or I heard from this client. Can you work on this? Right. So it's issue based. And the third is if I have a performance review. And in most cases, and I always ask my client this, the performance review in most cases are roses and buttercups. You're doing a great job. Keep it up. Never anything about what you could do differently to be more effective. And everybody, 100% of us could be doing things a little bit differently to continue to grow and be effective. So in those three interactions in general throughout a year, I'm not hearing anything about me as a leader and how I need to grow. And even if I'm good at it, 
I'd want to know it and continue to polish and get better. So that's the value of asking this question is I'm shifting the conversation a little bit and asking my boss outside of these other conversations, you know, what can I do you know, as a leader, as a participant in this organization? You know, what can I be doing differently to be more effective? And I, I hope if people do this, that they get great feedback and they act on that feedback. The biggest challenge leaders have is converting uh, information to action. They get all sorts of information about themselves, but then they never do anything about it. And that's really where I work uh, primarily with my clients is helping them take information and convert it to action, visible action that people can see to show that they were listening and that they want to do something about it. Mm -hmm. What do you say? It's actually taking the conversation more in intimacy way, not only talking about the professional aspect, but the personal aspect. What do you think that, that you are giving me as a person? How do you see me talking about myself and my skills and not only about we need to do for this client, this the professional aspect didn't, didn't meet the needs, but me as Karen, you as Ed, what I can do differently and seeing one each other, right? I'm seeing you and I'm seeing what's your strength and what your weaknesses and I want to help you grow and evolve. So, and it goes back to the connection aspect. At the end of the day, people will be engaged when they will feel seen, right? And I will feel that you see me even that I, yes, I have my challenges. Okay, but I, I feel that you want my, that my benefit, that you want, you want me to succeed and you see me as a person and then... So it's again, as I see it, again, goes deeper than only staying on the surface of the professional. We need to do this, uh, do this uh, table of content and whatever. Right. What uh, do you think? Oh, absolutely. I totally agree, Karen. I mean, the point of the question isn't for technical what type answers, but how type questions. And so this might take a few times. Right. Don't expect the first time you go to your boss and say, hey, Karen, what's one or two things I could do differently to be more effective that she's going to just wax philosophically and give you great. She might say, hey, I don't know. Or, gee, that's a great question. I need to think about it. Or she might give you technical answers and you might say, thank you so much. Let's talk about it in a couple of weeks. But, you know, you might have to take two or three swings at the bat until your boss gets it and says, oh, OK, so you're what you're looking for is more the how you lead. Right. You know how you interact with people, more the behavior of leadership, not the kind of technical client or project based stuff. Right. So it might take you a few times. But again, Karen, for uh, the times that I've asked this question of colleagues, of bosses, of times clients who I've advised to do it, you know, almost always they get one or two pieces of advice or observations that they can find helpful. And it's important to recognize as the individual that people see this stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. You come in and you're always late for a meeting. And while you recognize that people notice it, no one ever says anything. And then mm -hmm. finally, someone says, you know, Ed, you know, one of the things I think you could work on is timeliness, right? I think it's really critical as a leader that you're role modeling being at meetings at time. Well, here are the issues that I have. And OK, let's talk about them, because I really think this is something that you can work on. Now, I also know that people have noticed, mm -hmm. right? So that alone can be an incentive to get better because now someone's called me on the behavior and now I want to work on it because I don't want someone to have to call me on it. So. Two things come to my mind when you speak. First of all, you're actually talking about don't be afraid of creating a new language, even if people don't know how to act immediately, because you're, you are creating a new language, a new discourse and dialogue with your colleagues and boss. So there to be there. And for me also, it's being a leader. Being a leader for me, it's changing patterns. 
So if we don't have a good communication pattern, let's change it. I will be the, the leader who will invite other communication. So this first thing I like, don't be afraid if you ask different questions and people at the beginning don't know how to digest it. It's okay. Be with it. That's great. That shows you that you are needing a new path in the organization. The second thing that comes to my mind is in order to feel comfortable doing it, you do need to create a safe space in the culture that I won't feel it tomorrow. You, you will use it against me. You know, yesterday I heard the Brene Brown on Netflix, The Courage to Lead, and she talked about it, that usually we don't want to be vulnerable because when we are vulnerable, people are using it against us. So I think it's crucial. What do you think about this safe space and how we can create it more in organizations? Well, as a leadership coach, I'm a huge fan of safe space. In fact, I talk about that all the time with clients, that the conversations I have with clients are meant to be a safe space where they can say anything they need to say confidentially, because oftentimes in organizations, you can't say things to your boss because you're afraid that it might show that you're weak or ineffective or worried, and you don't want to have that type of reputation at work, right? So creating a safe space with your boss is very important. And, you know, I would just add a third thing, which is kind of a blend of what you have been mentioning, which is setting context. You know, don't go into your boss and say, hey, Karen, I'd love to hear one or two things you think I could do differently to be more effective because your boss can be like, uh, I don't know. You know, what you want to say is, hey, Karen, you know, I'd love a few moments of your time. I'm really thinking about how to be a better leader in this organization, how I can be more effective, how I can grow and evolve. And I'd love to hear from you. And if you know it now, that's great. If you need to think about it, that's okay too. You know, what's one or two things you think I could do differently to be more effective? And, you know, that sets context for them so that now they understand why you're asking it. And it's not some kind of hit across the head with a two by four, but information that could be helpful for them. And so I think that helps create that safe space where I now know what it is you're looking for and can help you get there. Mm -hmm. I love it. And it connects to the fact that you are a guest of your own podcast, Be Brave at Work, right? So I'll be happy if you can elaborate on what does it mean for you being brave at work? I think we started talking about it, but what do you uh, think? Yeah, this is, uh, this is a podcast I've been uh, hosting since 2019, and uh, we publish two podcasts per week. And it's really speaking with business professionals, educators, researchers, average, everyday, ordinary people about what bravery at work means to them. And I did a survey earlier this year and we had about 110 responses and 98% of those people believe upon reflection that there was a time at work where they could have said something but didn't say it or could have done something that didn't and they now live with regret. I do believe that you can learn from those events so that's not that they're bad that they happen because you learn and now say, okay, here's what I'm gonna do differently in order to be more effective, but they still have that feeling. And so bravery at work, Karen, is really ensuring that you have a process and a way to help people. And that's the important context of bravery at work. You're not judging people. You're not belittling people. You're not making fun of people. What you're doing is providing someone some information or observation that you believe would be helpful to them. And if that person understands you're attempting to be helpful, their likelihood for listening to you is greater. If they think you're just judging them or criticizing them or putting them down, they're not going to be interested, right? They're going to get defensive and argumentative, and that's not going to help either of you, right? So it takes bravery to do this, and it requires somewhat of a process for you to think about in respect to how to say something that needs to be said, 
or how to do something that needs to be done. And of course, this applies personally as well as professionally, because, you know, we all have something that we want to say to somebody else that we haven't. And this mm-hmm. creates the reason and the way you can say it in order to help that person. Yes. So I think of two things. First of all, you know, this metaphor that says that when people are standing on a high building with no fence, they won't go to the to the end, right? Because they will be scared to fall. But once you put boundaries and you put the fence, they will take themselves to the... To the edge. To the edge, yes. Thank you. So they will take themselves to the edge. So I think this is the first important metaphor for leaders because you call it context, I call it boundaries. You need to guide people and to put boundaries and to enable them to space to do their thing their own way. But once they know what the boundaries, they will take themselves to the edge and will feel safe. Otherwise, they, if they won't feel safe, they won't move. They will be like in a freeze mode. To your point, setting context in any of these conversations is super important. If the person doesn't understand why you are saying what you're saying, it's not going to be you know, well-received. They're not going to understand why you're saying it. If there's no boundary mm-hmm. at the edge, they're going to worry that something you're saying is not intended the way that you intend it. So it's important to say, hey, I have some feedback for you. I think some of the feedback might sting a little, but here's why I want to share it with you before you even say what it is, right? Make sure you set that context that you put up that edging so they know they're not going to fall and that you're just having an open, candid conversation about something that you believe, and this is super important, that you believe is helpful. And this connects me to compassion. You know, I'm talking about mindful leadership and being present and mindful. And as I see it, as we're practicing more being mindful in the moment and accepting ourselves, so we can more easily accept others. Because if I'm really judgmental toward myself, there's no way I won't be judgmental toward you because this is my glasses that I see the world, right? So I really think it connects to what you say, start with ourselves, that we need to be proactive. And first of all, to learn to accept ourselves and not to judge ourselves. And okay, not saying that I I won't be demanding toward myself and I won't evolve, but I can do it out of love and acceptance. And once we'll embrace this state of mind of compassion, first of all, toward ourselves and then toward others, then we can create this workplaces that we are talking about for people to show up fully and to be brave and to show up and say, and be in a conflict. That's okay that we don't agree. We can respect each other and be in the same space, but we learned that we need to win-lose paradigm, right? Oh, you're the winner or I'm the loser. No, let's hold the space. Let's really listen from a respectful place and see what will emerge. But we really need to be able, first of all, to be compassionate toward ourselves and others, to respect ourselves and others, and also to be able to not know the answer, to be in the uncertainty in order to enable something new to emerge. Yes, I agree. And words like compassion, empathy, vulnerability, relationships, these are all newer words in organizations. I'm not saying they're new, but they're newer words. And hierarchical management just is no longer working. So the old classic IBM model of, you know, here's who I report to and here's how I grow and there's a hierarchy just isn't working anymore. And uh, people need to start looking for ways that they can be more compassionate, show greater empathy, show vulnerability. You know, showing vulnerability, as Brene Brown would tell you, is a sign of strength. And anytime a leader has said, hey, I don't think we did this as well as we could have, or hey, I don't think I did this a way that I should have. I feel better about that leader, not worse. So maybe I'm an oddity in the marketplace, but I think it's a sign of strength to show that you're not perfect. So these are all newer words that you know people need to understand a little bit more 
And I have had clients very specifically who have hired me to help them be more empathetic, very specifically looking for how to be more empathetic in the workplace because the reputation they have is that they're cold and disconnected and they don't want to be that way and be seen that way. So it requires a whole new context and how to operate and how to think. And that if they're up for it, they can get there, but it requires them to do things in a whole new way. And that's what many organizations are currently facing is a conflict between their hierarchical status and these other type of behaviors you're talking about that are there, but may not experience them at all times. So what the advice did you give uh, this manager who asked you how I can be more empathic toward my colleagues and employees? Well, coincidentally, one of the chapters in my book, Drive Your Career, is about empathy. And it talks about, you know, how to demonstrate empathy. And, you know, the first tip, of course, and this is the hardest, the first tip is to recognize when a moment of empathy is needed. And, you know, too often someone will come in and say, I'll say, hey, did you have a great weekend? Oh, I had a terrible weekend. My kids were sick. My dog was sick. Uh, we had a small fire in the backyard. And the boss will say, well, did you get that report done that was needed by Friday? Right. Like zero even opportunity for empathy. True story. I had a client that I had to reschedule a meeting with because my aunt, who lives up the street, needed to go to the hospital. She's fine and nothing was urgent. But I called and had to reschedule the meeting. He said, hey, no worries. Let's do it next week. We were scheduled. I walked into his office the next week. I said, hey, how's it going? He said, great. Ed, what do we want to work on today? And I looked at him and I said, uh, you're missing a moment of empathy. Mm-hmm. And he said, thought about it for a moment and goes, oh, how's your aunt? Right. So it's, it's recognizing that there are these moments that you need to demonstrate empathy is the hardest thing. If you can do that, then the next steps come very naturally, which is asking for permission, providing observation, you know, things of that nature. But the first step is really recognizing and listening for these moments where you can demonstrate empathy, because when you demonstrate empathy, people will feel that you care more about them and people who feel more cared for are going to work harder for you. Do it from an authentic place. Don't do it from a manipulative place, really. Right. Oh, no, definitely not. Yeah. Right. This is a natural. I'm not teaching them how to fake empathy. Yeah. And right. This is about, hey, look for opportunities. And, you know, once you start looking for them, it becomes more natural. Right. So right. a year from now, if I went in and said, you know, the same thing, I'm sure he would say, hey, before we get started, Ed, I wanted to check how is your aunt? Right. Because now it's more part of their leadership style behavior. It's kind of um, training your muscle. You know, if you're not trained in this aspect, you need to train your muscle and find anchors in order to connect with the people. You know, when I started my career, I remember that we got a model how to connect better with people because I was really a straightforward person and I didn't see, you know, I needed to <laughs> deliver that. And I was kind of this. And then I got a model Look for a symbolic in the office, you know, a picture, something that you can start talking about it, a, a watch, a nice, I don't know, whatever, and start creating a conversation. Maybe something in the body language of the person that you're talking with, you can connect to it. Maybe he's looking on his watch, in his watch, and you can understand it in a rush, so you can ask him. So it's finding these anchors or something he said. Maybe he said, yes, I just came from my aunt, as you said, and where is she living? What happened? Why did you need to go there? So it's finding these anchors and creating and leveraging them to connect and to be interested in the other person. So yes, and it's a, you know, it's a training. And once, as you said, after you use it a while, it's you expand your skills and abilities and it gets part of you. So it's not a manipulative, but sometimes we need to do it. You know, there's the sentence, fake it till you make it. 
sometimes it won't be easy for you. It won't be natural. But once you will embrace it, I'm saying from my experience, it really gets to be part of you and you do it natural. So I think it's really a good tip that you gave. Well, and you know what we hope, of course, and I have not done a study on this, but what we hope is that people who demonstrate empathy and for people who experience empathy become more engaged. So it becomes a self-fulfilling objective that, wow, my people are more engaged now and are working better because I'm showing empathy. I love this. I'm going to keep doing it right now. You can also show too much empathy, but you, so you have to balance it. But what we hope is that you see positive outcomes that encourage you to continue to do it. Amazing. Ed, before we wrap up, is there any question that I didn't ask you that you want to talk about? Uh, you didn't ask me what my favorite color is. I'm kidding. What, what is it? Now I'm curious. <laughs> no, navy blue. Mine uh, also blue. Great. You yeah. see? There you go. We've had a great talk, Karen, and I loved the conversation that we've had about leadership style and behavior. Again, I'd encourage people, if they're experts in what they do, ask themselves, how good am I on the how I do it? And if I'm not as good on the how, find resources, books, training, coaches, whatever it might be to help you get better at the how. Because if you're not good at the how, it will become a house of cards. You're going to get to some point in your organization as you continue to grow that the what you do is not as important as the how you're doing it. Presidents of companies are not necessarily great at the what they do. They're fantastic at how they do it, how they engage, how they hire, how they lead, how they motivate. They're surrounded by great people. They don't do all the work themselves. Amazing message. Ed, where can people find you if they want you to call to them and to work with you? You can go to my website, which is excellius.com, E-X-C-E-L-L-I-U-S.com, and everything Ed Everts is there. Thank you very much for your wisdom and sharing with us your experience. My pleasure, Karen. Thank you so much for the time today. Thank you. If you enjoyed the conversation, you're invited to subscribe to our podcast in order to know when we upload a new episode and follow us on social media. Thank you for listening. Until next time, take care and bye-bye.